0: I'm not I'm not your typical legend I'm pretty funky, man you know um I'm down home and Boston shows Alabama. nothing nothing about me that's this boastful or braggatocious and nothing to brag about Don't I'll tell you that, that. you know <laughs> hey Dave Hey Dave Hey Dave. Hey Dave. Hey Dave. Hello. Hey Dave. Hello.
1: Hello. Rick Hall here. (laughs) Hey Rick Hall. This is Charlie. Hey Charlie. How are you?
0: you? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. All right. Flowers are blooming and the birds are singing. You know, and spring is here, and so I'm having a good time. But it could change any minute. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I was told to call. Called you, and I'm checking in for my for my interview. Yeah. Any way you want to do it, it's good to do it to good with me.
1: All right, cool. Well then, um... Ah.
0: Now what was your name again? I, I... My name's Charlie. Okay,
1: Charlie. Okay, Charlie. Okay, Charlie. Yep. okay yep. Charlie. Okay, Charlie. Uh Charlie.
0: What is your last name, Charlie?
1: You might not believe me, but it's Smith.
0: Really? <laughs> yeah You're in New Orleans, Louisiana I On sure. the radio station
1: Yep, the only radio station for the blind On the FM dial in the United States
0: Are you kidding? Isn't that incredible? Yeah well, That is incredible That's incredible Man, that's great Yeah Well, well, well that's great yeah. Well, I'm blind in one eye, so <laughs> Sometimes I feel so Uninspired. Sometimes I feel like giving up.
1: This is The Music Show. My Sometimes name is Charlie, your host, so and I'm here today with perhaps the biggest name that we've ever had on the show. He's Sometimes a producer, he's a songwriter, like he's a publisher, and he's an owner of the longest continuously owned recording studio in the United or in the world, that is in the world in the world. Please. Rick Hall. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Rick Hall of Muscle Shoals and Fame Recording okay,
0: Studio. Okay, Charlie. Oh, I'm, I'm tickled to death to be here. Are you kidding me? Okay, Charlie. I lo- I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay,
1: Charlie. Let's take it back. We're, you're, you yes, wrote sir. a book that that covers your pretty much your whole life to date.
0: Yeah, we sold. Uh, $13,000 worth of, of the book at the recording studio, my studio, this past Saturday. Oh, wow. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's hot.
1: It's selling like hotcakes, cakes
0: huh? Yeah, it's selling like hotcakes, and we're tickled to death about it. But, but the pe- people can get it if, if, they, if they go to fame2.com. They can order it and get it. The the DVD of the Muscle Shoals, uh, the movie, the documentary, it goes with the book.
1: Oh, that's great.
0: Let's take it back to
1: the Freedom Hills.
0: All right. The Freedom Hills, were they got their name basically because the whiskey makers and the people that were escaped convicts and so forth, they hid out in the Freedom Hills. And it was kind of a no man's land. And uh, my mother left us uh, when I was five and my sister was four. She left us and went to work for a red light district. And my father was a sawmiller, farmer, sawmiller, sharecropper. And dad was a singing school teacher. And he taught gospel, southern gospel. That's the music he loved. But I, I always hated that kind of music, but he was he was my daddy, I loved him very much. and Whatever I am and what I've made out of myself in, in life, he, he taught me how to do it.
1: And Did your father get to see you as you progressed and became successful in the manual? Well,
0: my father was killed on, an auto, on, a, on a tractor that I bought for him when I was about uh, 22 years old. and uh, he, he always wanted a tractor and he couldn't afford a tractor. We didn't have enough money to buy tractors, so we plowed mules and, and picked cotton and done those kind of things. We were very poor, had no money. We lived in a very squalid house that my dad built out of slabs from a sawmill that were rejects, and, uh, and we pulled the straw out of the fields to make the beds out of. So. I mean, there's no black man or white man or green man ever ever alive who's lived under poverty like I lived under. And I didn't like it, so... I had to pull myself up with the bootstraps and think, well, I want to make it, and maybe music is my thing. And so I, I started me a band and played in high school string band. Is this the Country Pals? The Country Pals... We won the state championship at at, uh, Auburn, Alabama.
1: You had a radio show every day, is that right?
0: Every day. We had a 30-minute show every day at a little station in Hamilton, Alabama called uh, WERH. It was a 10,000-watt station. And so we played there every day. So we had a big time. I was, I was hooked on music from the very beginning. I mean, I was, I was hooked. And so all I did was play music and chase the women. <laughs> then when I was about 30, 29, maybe, I married my first wife. And I was going to radio station. I was going to Hamilton, Alabama. And I had a car wreck, and my wife was killed in the car wreck. And I was driving, of course. So my dad buried my wife, and and I was in the hospital, of course. And he buried my wife, and then we buried him a week later. And right beside of her, he was killed on a tractor. So the two people I loved most uh, suddenly were gone. you know. And so I started drinking, drinking a lot, and sleeping in my car. and. I just became a, I became a, just a nomad, you know, I mean, just, I didn't care for anything. I mean, I I stayed drunk all the time. What was the turning point after that? Well, I'll tell you, I think, I think, Charlie, that uh, all of these hardships and pain and strife that I went through as a young boy made me, molded me into whoever I am today. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I try to be a good man, and uh, I, I learned how to, to uh, appreciate hard, hard living in tough times. I learned how to be a, a survivor. I learned how to carry my own weight and learned to learn how to be a leader. Uh,
1: and so do you think that influenced your approach as a, as a producer?
0: No doubt about it. I thank, I thank God every day that made it and made it the way I made it. The hard way. So I'll give you a rundown of some of the artists I've worked I've produced.
1: Please do, please do. And, yeah, and feel the free first, to stop. The first and tell the artist story.
0: I produced was Arthur Alexander. His record was called You Better, you better Move, move on. on. Yeah. And uh, so the Rolling Stones cut it in, in, in England and it went number one with them and so it brought them over here to Muscle shows to record some of the earlier hits. You ask
1: me to give up the hand of the girl I love You tell me I'm not the man she's worthy of But who are you to tell her who to love That's up to her Yes, and the Lord above, you better move move on. on.
0: Okay. But Clarence Carter, I I did Clarence Carter. We had a string of hits a mile long, and we had uh, Two Week to Fight. We had uh, Patches. Patches, of course. That was a number one record worldwide. And uh, then I had uh, Otis Redding. Paul Anka, and Mac Davis, and later on, and Marie Osmond, and Tom Jones, and Wilson Pickett.
1: Andy Williams, Ed, Ed, and Bobby Gentry.
0: Wilson Pickett, Eddie James, Dwayne Allman, the Allman, the Allman Brothers, Tony Osmond and the Osmond Brothers, Bobby Gentry, uh, and Alabama, the group Alabama. So I've had a real run for my money, you know. But uh, and we're still doing it. Yeah, we're still doing it. We did early on. We did the Tams and what kind of fool do you think I am? And you know, uh, Joe South and Joe Tex. Uh, he had his first hit record. Hold on to what you've got, and and so we. We've been here forever. We've
1: <laughs> you, you were talking about your hard times as, as early on in your life and how that sort of made you the producer that you yes. were. Would you consider Patches to be sort of a culmination of all that? It was a, a,
0: a combination of, of, of my bringing up and me and my father and the hard times we had and things like that. A man in Texas wrote the song. And uh, Atlantic Records sent it to me and said, I want you to cut this on Clarence Carter because I think it's the number one record on him. And so I played it to Clarence and he said, I'll never do the song. I I, 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 I will not shame my people with a lyric like that. And you know, the lyric went, my papa was a fine old man. I can see him with a shovel in his hand. Education he never had, but he did wonders when times got bad. The little money from the crops we made, barely paid, paid the bills we made. Though so life had kicked him down to the ground when he tried to get up, life would kick him back down. One day Papa called me to his dying bed, and with tears in his eyes, he looked at me and said, Patches, I'm depending on you, son. Pull the family through. Two days later, Papa passed away and I became a man that day. So I told Mama I was gonna quit school, but she said that was daddy's strictest rule. So every morning before I went to school, I fed the chickens
1: and I chopped wood. Run away from home But I wouldn't remember what my dad said With
0: tears in his eyes on his dying bed He said, patches I'm depending on you, son I tried to do my best It's up for you to do rest That was a big, big, important record to me. But the man that wrote the song was General Johnston. But he had a very unique voice, and and he yodeled in the song, Patches. It, it went something like this. My papa was a fine old man. I can see him with a shovel in his hand, y'all. You know? And he'd yodel at the end of every verse, every line. And Clarence said, well, I, I'm, I'm not a yodeler now, Rick. I'm not, I'm not going to yodel, okay? <laughs> I said, no, Clarence, you got to yodel. I mean, it makes makes it authentic. I mean it's something different. Yeah. For you for you to yodel on you and so he 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 couldn't get the yodel down real good, but he did the best he could. <laughs> <laughs> studio in Memphis, Tennessee that we built, and I signed up 10 or 12, maybe 12 songwriters, and one of them was George Jackson. Now, George wrote One Bad Apple on the Osnes that I had, which was number one.
1: Yeah, and that was one of the first pop records you did. Oh,
0: yeah, it was one of the first. It was the first pop record I did. All
1: right. Okay.
0: Of course, later on, then I did Mac Davis with Baby, Baby, Don't Get Hooked on and which was number one, and, uh, and then we had Stop and Smell. You better stop and smell the roses uh, along the way, and he did that. Of course, we did in the, in the Ghetto on Candy Staten.
1: That's one of my favorites.
0: And we did, he called me Baby, Baby all night long on Candy and we did Stand By Your Man, a country record. On, that was uh, first recorded by Tammy Wanette.
1: Mm-hmm. That's and another classic.
0: Can you imagine a country fiddle player cutting all these records, all these pop and R&B records?
1: Couldn't imagine another one besides you, and it's only because you did it.
0: Well, thank you, sir. <laughs> I, you, I appreciate that very much. you got to know that in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, uh... was where Sam Phillips was born uh... and so he discovered Elvis and of course Roy Orbison and Johnny Cash and Jerry Lee Lewis and uh, he was the guy that brought rock and roll on, on, on board
1: and, and that brings us to the topic of Muscle Shoals as a as sort of a magical area where the music just seems to happen and I know you were a big part of that, of course. How would you describe what it is about Muscle Shoals that made it such a special place?
0: Well, that's that's a good question. Uh, basically, I've always felt like it was it was it was an era that at one time cotton was king here in the Tennessee River Valley, and Muscle Shoals music was continuation of those times when you know people were singing in the cotton fields or picking cotton and I wanted my I wanted the sad songs to be the saddest songs you ever heard and I wanted the fun songs to be the funniest songs you ever heard uh, I didn't want to do ballads necessarily but somebody reminded me that I ain't never loved the man the way I love you was a wall speed and and I, I always told my people don't record anything. If you want to be a hit record producer, don't write songs uh, with wall speech because you can't dance to them.
1: Huh. Yeah.
0: And secondly, I said, and don't write about wedding bands because people will be, will be turned off. Uh, not that they do not want to get married, but you don't want to start talking about I'm married and I've uh, my wife's at home and waiting on me to show up and I'm out here hanging out, you know, having a good time and blah, blah, blah. People don't want to hear that. So that was, a, that was a trick for me. I've, I learned to stay away from things that couldn't be, you know. Right. But, uh, and what about
1: fame made it, you know, special and distinguished it from the other Southern studios? How were you able to, um, or was it not a conscious decision to, to rise above or to No make it wasn't different.
0: thank you thank you for that statement it, it wasn't a Charlie it wasn't a conscious decision for me to stay away from that I loved their music and I loved everything Stax did from Sam and Dave to to uh, you know Knock Three Times or Knock On Wood and all the other things that they did up there and we used the same horn section a lot hmm. a lot of our records uh, they would they would do horns up there, and they'd come down here and work for me, and work, work on my my, my stuff with Wilson Pickett and Aretha and and Lance Carter and all and all the other people. But but uh, no, it wasn't a conscious conscious decision I made that I don't want to be like the Stacks. Uh, I love their music, but I knew that I couldn't cop their music and be original, and and so um, they already had. One time a day, if you didn't, they didn't need two of them. Right. So I said, I stayed away from that. And I stayed away from Nashville. I stayed away from Chicago and, and New York and Los Angeles. Uh, I wanted to do our authentic, our own authentic stuff. And the way we did it was we, we called groups in and we'd pick the best musicians. I, I would pick the best musicians I could find that I had played with or been socialized with.
1: Or sometimes uh, they were camped out in your parking lot. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, that's right. Dwayne Allman was. He was camped out in my parking lot, and and I signed him to a recording contract. But he couldn't sing well enough, so I had to drop him as a singer, and used him on my all my, all, all, all my Wilson Pickett stuff and Clarence Carter, and and they called me backdoor sound and all that stuff. So he was wild about. He was like me. He was wild about black music. And but he was, he was into the old uh, stormy Monday blues and ballads. It, I couldn't get into much. I, I, it never was my, was my, never was my trip. I thought, well, I, I'm tired of doing the same old thing over and over. I want, I want to do something new and different. So I was always about tomorrow. I was always thinking about new things. And, I wanted to change the industry. I didn't want to just cut a hit record. I wanted, to, I wanted to make people stand up and take notice.
1: And was that what drove your transitioning from different genre to different genre?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, because I was so versatile in my producing, well, I cut hit records on Shenandoah, on Mac Davis, on Bobby Gentry they were country signing records and I did the 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 uh, the Gatlin brothers it was gospel and that kind of thing when I did Donny Osmond and the Osmond brothers uh, I went to Las Vegas and saw with the president of uh, MGM records he talked me into going to Las Vegas with him and I said, I don't want to go. And he said, well, you got to go. I've got an act I want you to see that you might be interested in producing for me. I said, I really don't want, I, I hate Las Vegas. I mean, you know, it's. I've been over there with Bobby Gentry and I've been over there with the with Mac Davis and I've been with all of my people over there and set up the music farm and all that stuff. But, so I'm tired of that place. I, it, you know, they don't have clocks and, on the walls. They don't know, you don't know, I mean, you've yeah, got no you windows and turned up grains for breakfast and that kind of thing. So right. I'm not into that. So he said, go with me. And I said, well, so he finally talked me into going with him. And I saw, I went and saw the Osmonds, the Osmond brothers. Uh-huh. And I was taken, man. I was just freaked out when I saw him. Wow. I couldn't believe, I mean, these little guys were... It started, I think, 11 years old and went up to about 17 or 18. and uh, But they were white, yeah, really white. And
1: Very they white. They were Mormons. Utah white.
0: Utah white, yeah. Their mom and dad were going to be real structured and were going to be checking out all my lyrics on the songs that we did. And so I said, uh, I, I can't get away with doing anything sexy or anything funky, mm. and so they're going to restrict me in those areas, and so so I called up George Jackson, and so I said, George, I just saw a group that's phenomenal. I mean, you won't believe how great they are. If you'll write me a hit song, I'll cut a hit record on them. So he said, well, Rick, I'll try. I'll see what I can do, and about a week later, he brought a, a demo down from Memphis that they'd put down him and the band. He'd hired a band up there to to work with him. hmm And he said, uh, I think I've got you a hit. Now, for George to say, I think I've got you hit, it was not, not to be. I mean, he'd never, never say to Rick Hall, I think I've got, I've wrote a hit here. Right. You know? He just let his music speak for itself, and he, he wasn't a boaster or braggatocious. He was just a good guy and a great, great songwriter.
1: And in this case, the hit was One Bad Apple. Yeah, and
0: it was One Bad Apple. Don't spoil the whole bunch. Mm. And uh, I said, my gosh, I think that's the number one record, man. And I, But I'm worried that I won't be able to cop the licks, you know. Uh, man, that sounds like a hit, like it is. They, they. I was afraid they were going to have problems with the, uh, with the lyric, of uh, "Sock it to me one more time." You know. Mm-hmm. Because now, socket it to me" in the south means a whole lot different from what it does out west and up north and New York and places like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I mean, we th- we think of socking it to you. I mean, it's been getting down with it. You know. Right. Right. So. Uh, so. I was afraid they wouldn't, they wouldn't buy that, but they bought it and loved it and, of course, it was number one hit all over the world, you know. Yeah! You know, and all that stuff, so I taught them how to, how to sing back and the whole thing.
1: What of all the musicians that you recorded did you enjoy working with the most? I know well, that's a tough question, but...
0: The Oslins were a lot of fun to work with. They were kids, they were little boys, you know, uh-huh. and they were easy to work with, and I had their dad here with them, so if I had a little problem here, I'd just say, uh, Mr. Osmond would step in and say, Look now, guys, Mr. Hall's trying to cut a hit record for you, so do what he tells you, you know. And and then back off, and I wouldn't have any more problems with him. And he, he had a favorite saying. would he'd, he'd, he'd say to him, Look, guys, I'm going to tell you something. Now, guys, uh, I may not always be right, but I'll always be your daddy. So that, that stuck with me <laughs> all my <life.
1: laughs> That reminds me of uh, the story you tell in your book about how your dad would try to convince you uh, to sing for the neighbors with a stick of chewing gum. And if that didn't work, he'd yeah, say, Yeah, I don't well, want, want chewing
0: gum, and I sure don't want to sing, you know.
1: Right. And then he'd say, well, then I'll give you a whooping. <laughs> and then you got he to said, sing. He said,
0: well, don't make me have to spank you, you know. thanks for these good people. So it cut loose, you know. It sang for him. Buck Dance or whatever they want me to do.
1: You recently won a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Grammy Foundation. Yeah. What achievement or achievements in your life are you most proud of, personally?
0: I've always loved Patches. It's one of my favorite songs that I've ever produced. And I always loved a record that I cut on Bobby Gentry called Fancy. Fancy. Here's your last chance fancy don't you let me down Lord forgive me for what I do But if you want out girl it's up to you so don't So don't let me down But that was one of my favorite records those are two of my favorite records that I ever produced and I produced them Because I wanted I wanted I wanted a big sound and I wanted to use strings and violins and cellos and Violas and and uh, bagpipes and whatever you know. I wanted I want something different and I'm way out there. I want I want, I'd studied Bach and I studied Beethoven and and I like I liked all kinds of music, you know. Talk talk about my book just a minute for me, please. Yeah,
1: sure, sure. Uh, how did you find the experience of writing the book? Was it was it an enjoyable experience? Well, was I started, it Well,
0: I loved it. I loved every minute of it and still loving it. I'm. I'm loving doing what I'm doing with you. I always was a, a storyteller and a jokester. And some people said, well, Rick, you missed your calling. I said, what? And they said, well, you should have been a comedian because that's, that was your calling. And this
1: book, I, I, can, I can assure all our listeners, is chock full of stories. One thing I liked about it most was you don't just start right in on your recording career and, you know, patting your back about all the people you've recorded, you spend a good maybe half the book talking about your, your childhood and your days before you started producing the hits.
0: Yes, Charlie. Thank you. Thank you for that.
1: That gives a lot of good context and sort of tells well, the listener. Well, I talk about my,
0: my mother and father divorcing. I talk about the hard times we went through as kids. And I've had in my lifetime, I've had 200 chart records and 100 gold records, gold or platinum records. That's incredible. It's a big, it's big, it's big time, uh, Charlie. And uh, but I want to thank you so much for, for letting me talk to you. Oh, no, and-, and your audience, and and thank thank all your audience for me.
1: The pleasure uh, is all mine. You're such a legend, and we're so honored to to have spent this time with you. Thank you.
0: Thank you, sir. Hey, I love you guys, but and, and be good until I see you again.
1: All right, and if you're ever in New Orleans, give us a call.
0: I will do that. All right. Yes, sir. All right. <laughs> Bye-bye.
1: Take care. Bye-bye. That was Rick Hall, the, the most legendary person I think I'll ever talk to in my life. Did you hear him say 100 gold records? Because he said it, and he meant it. And if you watch that DVD or if you read this book, he'll tell you himself. I'm Charlie. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And thanks again to Rick Hall.